So I'd like to thank you all for making time this morning for this wonderful time of devotion. My name is Peter Chalo. Um, and I am grateful to the whole fraternity of the Sons of Virtue Ministry for this opportunity to take part in fellowship this morning with you all. We are so grateful and we don't take it for granted whenever we get a privilege of hearing God's word. As the word of God instructs us in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, I believe towards the end of that particular passage, it says, but grow in grace, which is the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To other renderings put it, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And every time we gather to hear the word of his grace, which is able to build us up and to give us an inheritance among them that are sanctified, we know that it is an opportunity to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Growing in grace is growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Growing in grace is growing in our understanding of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he is grace personified. The Bible says of its fullness have we received grace for grace. The Bible says that the law came through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is grace and knowing him more and more gives us the opportunity to benefit and to enjoy the riches of his grace. And so I am grateful for this opportunity. Uh, we have a fellowship called Flick, which is Fulfilling Life in Christ Koinonia. And we partner with Sons of Virtue in the work of the Lord. We gather every Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. sharing the word of his grace. And we do not tire, but we are strengthened day by day by his love and faithfulness. So I felt it was important to start off with that introduction for those who might not know me and therefore proceed into the word of God this morning. So our focus today will be on the subject of love in relationships that consist of the marriage union and beyond. This is in line with the meeting that we are having this coming weekend on understanding marriage as God ordained. And I believe it will be a chance for us to be refreshed with knowledge. So this morning we will look at a statement that was made by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians, rather, chapter 13, verse 7, says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 7. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, or endureth all things. And 
in another rendering it says love never gives up never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance but love never gives up love never loses faith love is always hopeful love endures through every circumstance in another rendering it's put love bears up under anything and everything that comes love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person it hopes its hopes are fearless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening that love bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person it hopes its hopes are fearless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening then it's followed by that statement that love never fails love never fails love never fails what a wonderful statement i'll repeat it again and this will be the premise of our learning today it says in the king james version 1 corinthians chapter 13 verse 7 when he's talking about charity it says it beareth all things believeth all things hopeth all things endureth all things charity never faileth that love never gives up it never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstances that love never gives up it never loses faith it is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance that love never gives up it never loses faith it is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance that love bears up anything and everything that comes it is ever ready to believe the best of every person it hopes its hopes are fearless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening love never fails love never fails that is a passage that if you were to meditate upon those words it would begin to echo god's attitude towards you it would begin to unfold his gracious love and tender mercies towards you it would begin to impress in your heart god's unconditional love god's great compassion god god's great love for you 
when we say that love never gives up, that love believes all things, it hopes all things. It is indeed a demonstration of the Father's love toward us. It makes you realize how much God has loved you. It makes you realize how much God has extended his grace and compassion toward you. He is a loving father. He is love. And the attitude of his love is demonstrated. When we read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne. It says, looking unto Jesus, or rather, we do this, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Looking away from all that will distract us to Jesus, who is the leader and source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief and is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross and despising and ignoring the shame and is now seated at the right hand of God. It says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He was willing to go through shame. He was willing to endure the suffering and the pain of the cross because of the joy that was set before him and is now set at the right hand of the throne of God. The question I ask you today is, what was that joy? What was that joy that made Jesus endure shame? What was that joy that made Jesus endure the cross? What was that joy that made him go through scorn and suffering, mocking from sinners? What was that joy that made him go through such a difficult ordeal? What was that joy that made Christ persist therein? What was that joy that made him go through the sufferings that he went through? What was that joy that made him endure the pain and the discomfort and the separation that he endured, that he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When he gave up the ghost, what was that joy that made him go through hell, that made him descend through hell? What was that joy that made him go through that ostracization? What was that joy that made him endure that separation from the Father? I ask you today, this morning, was it the throne? Was it the throne? Was it to receive glory and honor? What was that joy? Someone please tell me, what was that joy? What was that joy that made Jesus go through that suffering? What was 
the price. What was it? If you read Philippians chapter 2, it says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? It says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. Then it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to hold on to or to cling to. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to or to hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names. That are the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So he did not consider his equality with God. He did not consider his deity as something to hold on to. Instead, he gave up divine privilege and took the humble position of a slave. And there's a beautiful song that says, you laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me, suffered at the hands of those you had created. You took all my guilt and shame when you died and rose again. And now today you reign forever and ever exalted. He laid aside his majesty and gave up everything for us. So it was not majesty. It was not a position. It was not the name that is above all names that was his pursuit, but rather the joy that was set before him was you. The joy that was set before him was you. When he saw Amen. Alice, Anne, Beatrice, Bernard, Delphine, Quemoy, Carol. When he saw all these people, when he saw you free, when he saw you delivered from bondage and captivity, when he saw you freed from the shackles of sin, when he saw you delivered from the power of darkness, he said, for that very reason, I am willing to endure the shame. I am willing to suffer the cross. I am willing to be ostracized for the sake of that joy, that joy of seeing souls delivered, of seeing many come to the knowledge of God, of seeing many delivered from the oppression and bondage of Satan. That was the joy. You were the joy. 
you wore the joy that was set before him. And he said, for the sake of that joy, I am willing to lay down everything. I am willing to endure this shame. Let me be ridiculed. Let me be beaten up. Let me be denied. Let me be tortured and mocked and abused. Let me go through everything for the sake of you. Because you matter to him. Because you're significant to him. Because you are loved by him. Because you are precious to him. You were that joy that was set before him. Beloved, I want you to understand how precious you are. You were that joy that was set before him. Therefore, his word says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand for the throne of God. So you can boldly say, I was the joy that was set before him when he endured the cross and he despised the shame. I was the joy. I was the joy. I was the very reason why he laid down his life and endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. I was the reason. Beloved, if you've never found any reason to celebrate your life, if you've never found any reason to see yourself as important and significant, if you've never found any reason to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I matter, please understand today that you were the very reason why he looked beyond the cross. And he said, I will be willing to endure such pain for the sake of you. You matter to him. You are significant to him. That's why the Bible says, that love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstances. That's why I can boldly say Jesus never gave up on you or Jesus never gives up on you. Jesus never loses faith in you. He's always hopeful about you and he endures through every circumstances for your sake, that Jesus never gave up on you. Jesus never lost faith in you. Jesus was always hopeful and he endured through every circumstance for you. That Jesus never gave up on you. He never lost faith in you. He was always hopeful and he endured through every circumstance for you. I repeat again, Jesus never gave up on you. Jesus never lost faith. He was always hopeful and endured through every circumstance for your sake. For your sake, beloved, love never gave up. It never lost faith. Love was always hopeful. Love endured through every circumstance for your sake. For your sake, love never gave up. Love never lost faith. 
Love was always hopeful and endured through every circumstance for you. That is fascinating. To imagine that you matter so much to our Heavenly Father. To imagine that you matter so much to him that he never gave up on you. That he was willing to go through that particular ordeal for your sake. He was willing, beloved. That's why we are reminded from his word concerning his love for us. First John chapter four verse 10 says, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, propitiation for our sins. First John chapter four verse 10, it says, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or in another rendering, it says, this is real love. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You know that he's real love, this is real love. You know that we loved God, or that he loved us and sent his son Jesus, gave him up to be the propitiation of our sins. And I can't help but remember a song way back in the 90s. He used to say, I'm searching for real love. I don't know if you remember that song, real love. I'm searching for the real love. Someone can touch my heart for real love. I don't know if you remember. Oh my goodness, what am I doing? I don't know if you remember that song. <laughs> I yes, I know. I remember. Wife. Oh, my wife remembers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. You remember that? Yeah, real love. You're searching for the real love. I huh? remember so well. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, in the 90s people, Kilambro eh? Nakumbuka, the 90s people. Oh, yes, I can see Tina. There, <laughs> I remember. Hey, so many people remember that song. Real love. You see, when I bring up a secular song, people now wake up, they comment, my God, praise the Lord for you. Hallelujah. Mumeamka, yeah, it was by Mary J. Blige. Some, <laughs> Lineage even knows the artist, wonderful. Mumeamka kweli. When we bring up real love, atamka wote. Yeah, real love. Eh? We keep saying, we're searching for the real ah, love. Yes, real love. Eh? We are searching for the real love. And the Bible here tells us it, uh, the, the, the word of God says that this is real love. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. He gave that which was so precious to him 
he gave that which was so dear to him. It was the hardest thing to give that which mattered the most for us. Imagine as a father seeing your son go through the shame and the pain and the suffering and the trouble that he went through for our sake. And I want to paint the picture for you. If you have a child, imagine giving up your child to be beaten up. Imagine giving up your child to be mocked and tortured and to be crucified, to be executed. Imagine giving up that precious child of yours. I, I look at my own son and I just can't imagine standing there by and watching him go through any kind of pain. The love that you have for your child, which is not even comparable to the love of God, yet you can't imagine giving up that which is so precious to you to suffer for people who are careless ignorant who have no regard for you not people who don't love you people who don't love you remember we didn't love him remember we didn't love him it's not like we were in our best behavior we were busy dancing to real love in a club somewhere shaking your waist and i'll leave it there shaking your waist just the waist nothing else Dancing, partying, uh -huh. using one another, careless, having no regard for him. Imagine that was our status. That was our attitude. And we did not care about him. It's not like we were people who were so in love with our God. It's not like we were people who were so intimate with him. It's not like we were people who regarded him. But yet he chose to give his son for a people who did not regard or care about him to die on the cross. That is real love. That is real love. No, love, no greater love has any man than to lay down his life for another. And we know that he laid down his life for us. When we least deserved it, when we least qualified for it, we never deserved that love. We never deserved. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It says, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And first John enters into that conversation about love. From verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love 
does not know God, for God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. So we are asked to love one another because we have received a love that we never deserved. We are told, hey, love one another because you have received that which you never deserved. Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Bearing one another, Colossians 3.13, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we forgive because we have been forgiven. We bear with one another because the Lord has forgiven us. Because the Lord has forgiven us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. We only love because he has first loved us. We forgive and we forbear with one another because he has done the same for us. We reciprocate that which has been done to us. We do it for others because it has been done for us. Because we have received forgiveness, we give forgiveness. Because we have received his forbearance, we are also able to bear with others. Because we have received his love, we are able to also love others. There is the receiving part first before you are able to give. And that receiving is that recognition of the enormity 
of his love and sacrifice for you. Because sometimes when we don't realize it, we act as if we have not received that forgiveness. And that is why when you are legalistic, it is so difficult to love because legalism has to do with merit. And so you think that for you to be able to love God, you need to earn it. It is not something that you have received. It is not something that you have received freely. So you are trying hard to earn it. Therefore, you will always expect others people to earn your forgiveness. You will expect other people to earn your forgiveness because you consider yourself as one who has earned it. When you're legalistic, when you make a mistake, you assume that it is through your fasting and through your labor of time in prayer and through the sacrifices that you make that now you feel good about yourself. You feel like now God has forgiven me. And in the same way, you reciprocate the same to others. Therefore, they must work hard. They must fast. They must pray. They must behave so well in order to be able to earn your forgiveness. Isn't that what we do in our relationships? Are we not guilty of that in our relationships, beloved? When someone has wronged us, therefore we feel that they surely have to work to earn our love. They have to work so hard. They have to labor so hard to earn our love. So as long as they are offensive toward us, they will never have any forgiveness in our heart. But the forgiveness is premised on their good behavior. The forgiveness is premised on them meeting one, two, three, four, five things. And so we have a list of expectations. We have conditions. We have a certain kind of threshold to which we subject others to in order to be able to be pleased, in order for them to be able to please us, in order for them to be able to win our love. We subject them to a threshold. And the question I ask you today is, what threshold were you subjected to? It was only for you to receive love that has freely been given to you and God called you his beloved. He embraced you and hugged you, clothed you with his righteousness. When you were in filthy rags, when you were least deserving, he chose to embrace you and to love you. But the question is, what kind of conditions have we set on our spouses? What kind of terms have we set on our beloved, our spouses? Or those that you're dating, or maybe you're single and you're dating and you have a list, you have a checklist that is so detailed and so long that these conditions have to be met for me to be able to allow somebody to be worthy of my love. One of the conditions people have is you gotta have a J-O-B if you gotta be with me. You remember that song? Who remembers that song? 
Now let us awaken the church. Who remembers that song? Ah, come and <laughs> Hallelujah. There they are. <laughs> hey, the church has woken up again. Hallelujah. You got to have a J-O-B if you got to be with me. So what happens is we tend to have those conditions that we have set for others in order for them to merit our love. And you know, that has been the reason why so many relationships have endured so much suffering in our day to day. That has been one of the reasons why it has been so difficult because we have always been expecting that these will be things that have to be attained by whoever will be worthy of my love. Whoever will be worthy of my love has to attain these things. And it is such a difficult thing in relationships. Now, am I saying that we should throw off all kinds of standard and all kinds of restraint? No. Am I saying that it's okay now? You are going to say, you know what? I am going to marry any Tom, Dick, and Harry. I don't know why we never had a version of ladies. Maybe you would have said, I'm going to marry any Scholastica, uh, Prudentia, or I don't know which other name, but Tom, Dick, and Harry has always stood out. God bless you if you have a husband called Tom, Dick, or Harry. Oh, Perpetua is one that Cherona has shared. Am I saying that? No. What I'm saying is, how, what is the motive and what is the attitude through which we hold other people to those standards? What is the attitude through which we hold them to those standards? Are we expecting them to love us and bear with us when we are not willing to bear with them? That is unjust and that is unfair. Are we placing expectations that we ourselves are unable to bend our backs and do? Are we like the Pharisees who make it so difficult for others to enter to the kingdom of God, but they themselves will not bend their backs to do anything of that sort? What is the state of our attitude? What is the state of our hearts, beloved? Because we have seen that we have been loved when we least deserved it. We have seen that we have received compassion and grace when we least deserved it. We have received real love when we least deserved it. What are those conditions that we have set for others? And uh, someone has written bills there. I remember there was a song was it Destiny's Child? Can you pay my bills? Can you pay my hotel bill? Can you pay my automobile? Then he says, I don't think you do. So you and me are true. How many of you remember that song? How many of you remember that song? Can the comment section blow up? Your house, we see them. Yes. There they are. Oh, my goodness. So, 
Yeah, someone written bills, bills, bills. Uh -huh, there they are. <laughs> so can you see, you can also see that the world's idea of love has been premised on so many conditions. So many conditions. And we see the endurance and the forbearance of love. We see the attitude of love from our heavenly father in that he was willing to give to us freely when we least deserved it. He was willing to give love to us freely, willing to love us freely. We didn't deserve it. We were not the best of people. But you see for us, when we want to look at our spouses, we want always the best. I have never met anyone who wants the worst. Um, when you're told to describe your ideal man or your ideal wife, and of course that is that 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 was you before uh, life life uh, disapproved those notions or checked you or reality on the ground came through. We always had a perfect script. We always had a perfect script. We thought about people with long hair. You know, for, for, for us as men, we maybe thought about, you know, this, this sort of like a fairy tale kind of woman, maybe for a man. You know, we thought about it, you know, um, and for a woman, you also had those expectations. You had expectations for something good. And the one that you married, you of course saw them as beautiful and as wonderful. And so you always went for that which you considered to be best. Well, Christ didn't go for that which he was considered to be best. Christ went for that person who had rejected him, that person who had no regard for him, but he was able to see the beauty and the goodness in us when we could not be able to see it. He was able to see it. So loving us was not a very easy affair because we were not the most perfect, polished, charming and wonderful people. We were not speaking in those polished accents and say, Lord, here we are. Thou hast chosen to die for us. Therefore, we are willing to yield our very own lives and our souls to you. Precious Lord, come now, come, and we are waiting to yield ourselves to you. We have laid ourselves as this beautiful, perfect, and unblemished sacrifice for you. Come take us. No, we were not like that. We were arrogant people. We were those people who were shouting in Abba, Swaya yo Saudi, Swaya yo Saudi, you know? Those are the people, <laughs> when you actually think about the people that I've seen to die for, who are not Polish people, arrogant people, all types of people. And those are the ones that I said I'm going to die. Someone is saying my sound is muffled. Is it good now? Am I okay? Yes, good now. Good, good. I was just shouting. Sorry. Like, uh, so please understand. Who, what kind of person is Christ die for? What kind of person um, did Christ die for? 
Am I still muffled? Oh, perfect, good now, sorry. So what kind of person did Christ die for? He never died for the most polished and bougie people. He died for somebody who was a sinner and not pleasant to him. Okay, so that being said, we are able to understand that this love was not something we deserved. And that's why the Bible says concerning love that love never gives up. It never loses faith. Okay, here we can sing a gospel song for the sake of those who are struggling in our chat comment section. What to a comment section, we know love never gives up. Your love never gives up. It never runs out on me. That's a good one we know. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. But Jesus never gave up on you. He never lost faith was always hopeful and he endured through every circumstance. And the same passage of scripture, now we can relate it to ourselves. And the question I want to ask you in relation to your journey of love is have you given up? Because it says love never gives up. The question is, have you given up? Have you lost faith in your relationship? Are you hopeless in your relationship? And are you unable to endure through the circumstances that you find yourself in, in your journey of marriage? Or those who are dating, if you have given up, the Lord help you because utafikaje kwa alta, kwa madabahu. How will you get to the altar? How will you get to that wedding day if you have already given up, if you're already hopeless? The question now we ask ourselves is, have we given up? Have we lost faith? Are we hopeless? And are we unable to endure through the circumstances of our relationship? Have we gotten to that point in our journey, in our relationship? Now we are not able to endure anymore. You wake up in the morning and you look at that person next to you, or maybe they've already migrated to another bedroom. And just think of their image. Maybe you used to have a passport photo of them in your purse or your wallet. And now it has stayed in there. It is even old and creased. And you say, what was I thinking to marry such kind of a person? What was I thinking to marry this person or to be involved with this person. You're unhappy, you're disappointed. You have gone through a number of experiences that have brought you to a place of hopelessness in your relationship. And that is the state of the world today. There is a hopelessness. There's a lack of confidence. There's a lack of hope in the institution of marriage. In relationships, there is no hope. There is no positive affirmations. And when people talk about their wonderful relationships, people usually say, 
We wait. Let's just wait. Let's just wait and see. And so before people used to post images of themselves with their loved ones on Facebook and Instagram and people used to comment there, oh, you look good together, couple goals. And then when it crashes, people say, uh-huh. It was bound to anyway. The question is when you look at your surrounding, what kind of reports are there about relationships? Do you hear more about the joys and the, and, 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 and the goodness of relationship? Or do you hear more about the sorrows and the pains that are in relationships? What is the report that you hear around you, beloved? What is the report? that you hear around you. Now you hate yourself or you hate the very fact that you got married to somebody. You hate the very fact that you're involved in a certain kind of relationship. But now you have moved from singing, I'm searching for the real love. Now you say, and I hate how much I love you, boy. Hate how much I need you. <laughs> Comment section people, are you there? There you are. Okay, we can see you. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, there they are. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. There are the people. Now you're singing those songs of how much you hate loving. How much you hate being in love, how much you loathe the idea of being in love with somebody that you made this vows to. And all these other experiences that, that people go through because we learn that love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And he says, love never fails. And the best example we have of love is the fact that Christ never gave up on us. He bore all things and he was hopeful. He never lost faith in us. He endured through every circumstance for our sake because he loved us so much. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and suffered the shame for the joy that was set before him and that joy was you. That joy was you. Real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That was real love. Now, I want to paint to you another picture of God's love. In the book of First Timothy, chapter 1, First Timothy, chapter 1, from verse 12. 
1 Timothy chapter 1 from verse 12, it says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence. I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. And then he says, oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that comes from Jesus Christ. How generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ. And I like it in the King James, it says, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's why Paul says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Of whom I am chief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that was, that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of all of them. I am the worst of all of them. I was the worst sinner. I was the worst of all of them. But now I can say that truly Christ came into this world to save sinners because if it would save me, who was the worst of them? Clearly, he is a savior. And he says, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. But God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners, that Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience even with the worst of sinners. 
the Navas will realize that they too can believe him and receive eternal life. Paul considered himself to be the worst of sinners, to be the chief of sinners, the least deserving of God's love and grace because he persecuted those that believed in Christ. And even when the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, you remember in the vision he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, Paul, Paul, why, 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 why do you persecute me? This is the Lord saying, why do you hurt my church? Why do you hurt those that I love the most? Why do you hurt those that I care for the most? Because when you hurt them, you're hurting me. You're persecuting me. Yet Christ came for that very one who was hurting him. That one who was persecuting him. Christ came and loved him and accepted him and gave him his grace and kindness and love. Because he least deserved it. He least deserved it. And sometimes, I must tell you, the ones who least deserve our love are those that have hurt us. The ones who least deserve our love are those that have hurt us. They are the ones who least deserve our love. The ones that have broken our hearts. And sadly, the deepest hearts come from those that are closest to us. The deepest heart comes from those that are closest to us. It is your husband, it is your wife because you trusted them, because you invested so much. And those that are the, those are the ones that have come and hurt you so deeply. But you look at them and you're like, why should I forgive this person? Why should I bear with this person? Why should I ever look upon them? And fine, you might still not be able to trust them. You might build your trust back again, but you have still not been able to forgive them the things that they have done to you because they have hurt you. And when you look at them, you can't help but remember Mariah Carey's song, Heartbreaker, you got the best of me. Hey, comment people, comment section people, Mukosite, are you there? You remember that song, Heartbreaker? Yeah, Heartbreaker. Hey, they are there, powerful. So when you, 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 you Heartbreaker, you know, this, they have broken your heart. They have hurt you. They have hurt you. And now when they tell you, I, 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 please forgive me, take me back in again, please, please, please. You think, no, no, no. And you, the only song you can sing to them is Unbreak My Heart. Say you love me again and do this heart that you caused me. My goodness. Do you remember? Can you see the kind of songs that we grew up listening to? Why am I painting this picture? It's because I want to tell you 
that whole heart Christ. And Christ is our example, Paul heart Christ. He heart the church. He made havoc of the church. He heart the church and Jesus chose to love the one that was hurting him. He chose to love the one that was wounding him. He chose to forgive that very one. Hey, Lucy, if you remember Sundowner, you must be a legend. My goodness. You remember Sundowner at KBC? My goodness. Beloved, imagine Jesus loving the one who had hurt him so much. Jesus loving the one who had hurt him so much. And now we think about our lives. We think about our relationship. And there are those that have hurt us the most. The ones that we chose to bring very close to us. They have hurt us. They have said things that have destroyed us. They have done things that have wounded us. And they have damaged us. Damaged our confidence. And so this bitterness and pain that we harbor in our heart against those that have done these things to us defiles us, defiles us. And therefore, when we look at our lives all of a sudden, they look so tasking. It looks such a, have you ever had people saying, you know, they look like they have so much burden. They're not light anymore. They're not enjoying the peace anymore. They are burdened. Well, why is that? Why is that? Why does that happen? Because what happens is as we continue harboring those things, the next thing that follows is that a root is developed in our heart. And that root is called the root of bitterness. The root of bitterness. Hebrews 12 verse 15 says, looking diligently, looking diligently. If you remember the same context of the verse, it says you, you have to look at Jesus. It starts by saying, therefore, since we are surrounded of witnesses, the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him he endured the cross disregarding its shame and now we sit in the place of honor beside god's throne then verse 15 says look after each other or are looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of god lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you and thereby many be defiled Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, 
who sold one morsel of meat. For one morsel of meat sold his birthright. It says you have to be careful because our focus is Christ. It says, lest none of you fails to experience God's grace, you fail to receive God's grace, you fail to experience God's grace because the root of bitterness makes the grace of God inoperative in our lives. If you want to see somebody who is not experiencing grace, look at someone who is bitter. Bitter people are not able to experience the workings of God's grace because the root of bitterness has gripped their heart and they are festering on that thought. They are continually watering it, watering it by the continual thinking, by the continual reflection, by the continual reference of that pain that they have in their heart. They have made an idol of it. And as they continually focus on that pain, the root of bitterness runs so deep that the heart is not able to receive or experience the grace of God, which is love that you don't merit it, which is love that you don't deserve. And so bitterness hinders us from being able to experience that grace of God. There is a weight and a burden that continues to linger upon you we're not able to experience the freedom that you already have in Christ Jesus. We are looking at the attitude of Christ. He chose to love and forgive the one who had hurt him the most, which was the Apostle Paul. And this is a difficult thing for us to even love and forgive those that have hurt us, those who are closest to us. And now in the context of marriage, it becomes very difficult because you wake up every day and you see that person. I see the question people are asking and we will answer them. So, if we were to take this whole picture that we have painted about Christ and bring it closer home and ask ourselves this question. One, the love that we have received, did we deserve it? We never deserved it. The grace of God that we have received, did we ever deserve it? We never deserved it. He loved us in our worst state. He loved us in our shortcomings and our failures. He loved us when we cared less about him. We did not even regard him or honor him, yet he chose to love us and to care for us. And when we think about his love, when we think about his goodness, how much he has dealt to us. When we read from the word of God that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endureth all things, love never fails, it never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. When we think about the Lord, when we think about his goodness, when we think about all that he has done for us, 
He never gave up on us. He never gave up on us. When we think about his attitude toward us, when we were least deserving, and yet he chose to love us. When we think about this, the question is then how can we love like he did? How can we love those that have hurt us? How can we forgive those that have wounded us deeply like he did? And will this in any way help save marriages that are at the brink of destruction? Will this help save relationships that are at the brink of destruction? Will this by any means provide a different perspective that will draw us away from the focus of our pain, the focus of our disappointment, and enable us to look at Jesus' love and grace toward us. When we think about how much he has loved us, will it make our hearts any soft towards forgiveness? Will it, make, will it make us more receptive to the idea of forgiveness? Will it? Will it make us more considerate of those that have wounded us. When we think about Christ's love, so we might find ourselves in places where we have been hurt and disappointed. And many people have found themselves, oh my goodness, the stories that people have sometimes are like a movie scene. They're like a script from a movie, the things that people have done to each other. One of the things I usually say is, the fact that people do those things has more to do with the reflection of a person who has the aggressor than the one who is receiving the pain. Why do I say that? Because of our own choice, we ought to love and do that which is good. The fact that we can't is not premised on the actions of the other person, but rather a reflection of the state of our hearts. If I am an unfaithful man, if I am an abusive man, it is only a reflection of my self-worth. It is only a reflection of the state of my heart. And the Bible is clear that when we sin, we are led away by our own desires and we cannot put that blame on anyone else. So if I'm unfaithful to my wife, I cannot come and tell you that I cheated on her because I feel this and this and this way. Whereas I might feel that way, I am not justified still to cheat. I am not justified. 
Is there any justification that we can never have? And God can say, fine, it's okay, I understand. In your situation, I understand that you had to defile the marriage bed. In your situation, I understand you had to cheat. No. Absolutely not. Whereas, yes, we might be driven to find ourselves in tempting situations or to contemplate those things. It is of our own choice that we do the very acts. Because it is a reflection of the state of our heart. And now, there are reasons for why marriages should break. There are reasons for why people should separate. And everyone, when they have been pushed to the very end, they say, I feel that I can't take it anymore and I am justified to see my marriage break, to see my relationship break, yes. But when we look at the attitude of God, when we look at what he says through his word, that love never gives up. But love believes all things, it hopes all things. When we look at the never giving up attitude of our Lord, the question is, if we were to consider his love, if we were to consider his attitude, will it salvage some marriages? Will it salvage, will it save certain unions from breaking away? Will it save relationships if we were to be a bit considerate about our father's attitude, about God's love for us? Or is it an offense that you feel has driven you to the end that it has to be broken? Are there marriages that have survived unfaithfulness? Yes. Are there marriages that have survived abuse? Yes. Are there others that have not survived? Yes, I understand and I consider it. I'm very sensitive and considerate of that very fact. But perhaps perchance, if we were to really look at God's attitude, would it provide room in our hearts to forgive? Would it provide room in our hearts to be a bit more forbearing and considerate towards our loved ones? Or well, I don't know if they've become the hated ones. For you who is still married, is there any hope? Is there any wisdom that comes when you look at the Father's love for you and his grace for you? Will it change your attitude a bit and perhaps save your marriage? Will it make you consider it to an extent and give hope for your union to survive so, in consideration of this truth, I want us to really look into our hearts and ask ourselves, have I been so demanding that I have not considered without demands, my Lord and Savior Jesus gave his life for me. 
my heavenly father gave his son for me without the many demands that I have. When I least deserved it, I received a love that was so great. And in the same way, the question is posed to us. When we consider ourselves, when we consider his love for us, will it make us a little bit more considerate and more forbearing with one another? When I think about his love and his goodness that has been shed abroad in my heart, when I think about God's love that I don't deserve it, will it help me to change my speech, to change my opinion about my spouse? and provide some level of hope for my union. That is a question that we need to ask ourselves today. We need to ask ourselves today. And so right now, we have marriages that are going through challenges. And if you were to look at this word of God and see what it, it is speaking about and see the attitude of God, loving those that have hurt them, loving those that have wronged him, loving those that were inconsiderate of him, Maybe it will change our hearts to look at our spouse with that kind of love and also see them as those in need of God's love and goodness and perhaps change our attitude even of, uh, of prayer for them. Perhaps change our... <laughs> our approach in how we address them. Sometimes when I feel um, most offended, when I feel justified, sometimes when I feel that I deserve to be so angry, God's love permeates my heart and makes me realize that I, I could actually forgive more than I could actually think. I could actually forgive more than I could think. It, God's love is greater than that pain that I feel or that anger that I feel justified to have. And the more we are given to this reality of God's love and grace, the more our hearts are seasoned to be able to love and to be able to be considerate of our spouses, of those that are close to us. When the world is feeding us a selfish philosophy of marriage, where it is almost like a negotiation of some sort, where it is almost like a transactional arrangement, where you have to receive a certain level of 
love and expectation for you to be able to reciprocate the same or for you to be able to do certain things. When the world is building this idea of marriage that is around transaction, are we able to love like God who loved without any expectation as regard to our, what we can offer him? <laughs> Uh, uh, Charles Kwemoi, could you meet on your microphone? Sorry, sorry, sorry. So, guys, this this helps us to understand that we could actually consider God's love and his attitude in, in, in terms of how we approach our situations. We don't have to approach the idea of love and relationship from a self-centered perspective where it has to be me and my needs met or nothing else gives. Because when we feel like we are unable to love, what we need to do is we need to receive his love. His love will give us the ability to forbear and be patient and be kind and considerate. His love will enable us to love our spouses through their weakness and through their shame and believe for their transformation and believe for their change, and believe God for their growth, and believe God for their progress. And I know when I share this, people, sometimes the attitude in people's hearts will be, is he saying that we, we should now sit there carelessly and take in all kind of nonsense from people? No, that's not what I'm saying. I've realized that marriages have have fallen apart, not even because of big things, because of small things. And I dare call them small, small things like a periodic lack of income. Where someone has lost their job and it begins to open up doors for all manner of trouble in a marriage. I've seen marriages break because of esteeming material possessions more than esteeming one another. I've seen marriages break because of this ideology that is painted that people say, you know what? We can't eat love. There has to be money on the table. There has to be this thing on the table and marriages are broken because of that. I've seen marriages break because of things like communication. And yes, we have seen marriages break because of things like abuse and unfaithfulness and so forth. But the question we ask is, 
now that we know circumstances will never be avoided and the circumstances will come our way. Now that we know that there will be different challenges that will come our way in our journey of marriage, the question is, are they all a premise for our unions to be destroyed? Because there is no single marriage that will not face its kind of challenges. Or maybe if we were to consider God's attitude of love, we will prevent our marriages getting to certain kinds of situations and circumstances. When we look about, he, about his love and his goodness, about his sacrifice for us, are we employing the attitude right now in our marriages before we get to those circumstances that could threaten the destruction of our marriage? Are we employing it right now? Are we looking at our spouses in that same love and compassion and grace? Are we handling them in that same compassion and grace? Are we employing that graciousness of Christ that he employed to us, that we are able to love our spouses, not based on how much they qualify for, but based on how much we realize God has loved us and cared for us? Or have we become so careless that we mishandle one another? We speak ill of one another. We disregard one another. We are hurtful and arrogant towards one another. Are we, have we become so carefree that we, we, we deliberately do careless things knowing that they can threaten the well-being of our marriage? That is the question at hand. And if we were to look at the loving grace of Christ and choose to approach our relationships with the same attitude, our marriages will blossom and there will be joy in our homes. Because his word says to us that love is patient and kind. Have we received God's love in our hearts that will enable us to be patient and kind. When it says that love is not jealous or boastful or proud, have we received his love that satisfies our soul, that we have no reason to be jealous or boastful or proud or rude? Have we received his love in our hearts in order not to demand on our own way? Have we received his love in our hearts to enable us not to be irritable. Some people are irritable. The slightest mistake by your spouse and you blow up. You are steaming red hot. Has love filled our hearts that we are not able to keep so many records of being wronged. Keeping records of wrongdoing, keeping records continually. Has God's love filled our hearts? Has it filled our hearts that we do not rejoice in injustice, but only rejoice when truth wins? Has it filled our hearts that we are not giving up or losing faith and we are hopeful? 
and we are able to endure through the circumstances that we are facing. The question is, have we continually opened our hearts to allow the Holy Spirit to lavish his love upon our hearts? Because real love is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Have we opened our hearts today to receive his love, to focus on his grace and his goodness? The moment we keep looking at Jesus's love for us, the more it causes our hearts to be untreatable and broken and humble even in our dealings with our spouse. Our speech changes. We are not arrogant anymore or rude to our spouses. We are considerate of them when we open our mouths to speak. Sometimes you want to say something, but you are stopped because the love of God constrains you. And as much as you might feel, you say, no, I will not allow that thought to find manifestation in my lips. I don't have to feel good by fighting a, a war in my home. I don't have to feel good by choosing to open my mouth and abuse my spouse or giving them a piece of your mind. There are people whose minds are, are very little because they've been giving out pieces of their mind continually, that their mind has remained very small. Piece of my mind, piece of my, I have to give him a piece of my mind. I have to, I have to. Are you so irritable that there is tension in your household? At the slightest irritation, you are going to blow up and you are going to go on a roll verbal exchanges that destroy the peace and joy of your household. The question is, what is the state of your heart today? What is the state of your heart today? Are you living by this love? Are you focusing on it? Or are you focusing on your problems that allow a root of bitterness to spring up in you? Are you the kind of person who you're just ticked off? You're so angry and so edgy. You are rude to your spouse. You come and you say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I love God. But the moment you pick up your phone call and deal with the one who is closest to you, we're talking of a different person. Because there have been such kind of cases where we come and we talk all these wonderful things in church we, 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 among us believers circles, we want to be seen as wonderful people, servants of God. We like the titles that come along with it. Man of God, or God talk. You are taller than the tallest. The man of substance. Heavy duty machine. Hey, orator of the oracles of God. Mm, you like those things. But the moment you speak with your spouse, 
they know of a different kind of person. There's a story that was told by, I think, Bishop J.B. Masinda once they went to a certain church when they were doing the apostolic work. And as they were praying in that church, they were also handling the issues of, uh, as they were ministering, there was an altar call that was made. And a woman was told, uh, no, rather, they told people in the church, if you have a spouse who is not born again, please come forward so we can pray with you and believe with you for the salvation of your spouse. And when people came forward, the wife of the pastor of that church came forward. So when she came forward, they thought maybe she's coming to Asha and help with organizing people at the front when they're being prayed for. So she was asked, uh, but they realized she was standing in line. And they were wondering, why is she standing in, in line? Why is she standing in line? And so they asked her, Mama, uh, Madam, are you okay? Because uh, we realize you're standing here. Or are you standing here believing God for a relative? Maybe it's a friend whose husband is not born again. Maybe it's your sister whose husband is not born again. And the woman said, no, I am standing here on behalf of my husband who is the pastor of this church, because that man is not born again. The one you see here in church is not the one I see at home. And that was pretty funny. <laughs> Lynette, may you never stand in an altar call for my sake. I implore you by the masses of God. Imagine this weekend at Ufungamano Hall when we ask couples, please come forward and believe God for your husband's salvation. And you see my wife standing in line there for prayer. And then she says, I am here to, yeah. She's asked, let's say it's one of the, uh, she stands in line and Pastor Dorothy goes to her, Lynette, why are you standing here? And she says, I'm standing here because of Peter. That man is not born again. That's how crazy that situation was. So we look at the word of God and we see this instruction. We see this explanation of love, that it is patient and kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude or that does not demand on its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. Are we patient and kind with our loved ones? Are we patient and kind with them? Are we jealous and boastful? Are we jealous of them? Are we boastful or proud toward them? Are we rude? You can be boastful and proud because of many things. Maybe it's your paycheck, you earn more. So you become boastful and proud. Are you rude? to your spouse. Love takes away these things. Love takes away these things. Love brings the beauty and the displays of God's goodness and grace in your household. It brings the joy of the Lord in your household. 
It brings glad tidings into your home. The love of God brings his peace. The love of God brings the motions of his grace in your home, that it becomes pleasant to be in that household. It becomes a joy to be in that home. When the love of God permeates through the heart, it affects the environment of your household. And people can feel loved, who can feel cared for, who can feel it's a joy to be in that household. And today, the attitude that we have to receive is the attitude of receiving God's love, focusing on his finished work, focusing on his grace, because that helps our heart. It helps us to change our attitude in terms of how we go about our marriage and our relationship. And these are not far-fetched things. These are not far-fetched things. That love of God will work into our heart and expose the areas that are wanting in us. It is not a strange thing to hear. The very things affecting people in the world are affecting people in the church, the marriages in the church. So what we have is the opportunity to open our hearts to God's love and let it change our attitude and cause us to love and to care for one another in view of Christ's love for the church. And I know the report will be a different story because God's love will find its full expression in our homes and people will see and they will admire and say, such is the kind of marriage, such is the kind of union that I would desire to have because I can see God's love at work in that home and in that household and in that marriage. And it will be an example to others because when God's love is at work, you will experience his beauty and his goodness and you will find it a pleasant thing to rejoice in the Lord in your marriage and not something to be regretting about and to be angry about. I pray that this will be our attitude today as his word reminds us that love is patient and kind, that it is not jealous, boastful or proud, or rude, it does not demand on its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. So love never gives up, love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. As Jesus never gave up on us, he never lost faith in us. He was always hopeful. He always endured through every circumstance. My prayer today is that we will never give up and we will never lose faith and we will always be hopeful through the different circumstances of our marriage. May we never give up. May we never lose faith. May we always be hopeful because there is no situation that is too difficult for God. And his love never fails. Therefore, his love can win. And his love can secure our hearts in his purposes. And we can exhibit the beauty of God through our marriages, demonstrating the love of Christ and the church to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you this morning for your word of truth. Thank you for your word of love. 
I pray that this will be our attitude, that we will be receptive, that we will be cooperative, we will open our hearts to you and receive your love, that we will be careful to watch out, lest any root of bitterness spring up in us and defile us, causing us to fail of the grace of God. But as we continually look upon you, Father, we know that your love is richly poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we cannot give up. But if we are broken and open to you, Father, your love will continually refresh our hearts. And I pray that this will be our attitude today. I pray that we will open our minds and our hearts to receive of your love. We will look upon you. We will gaze upon your goodness. And the moment we continually see how much you have loved us, Lord, for this is real love. Know that we loved God, but that you loved us. As we continually focus on this, may your love capture our hearts. May your love reign in our hearts today. And may we be yielded to you because you are wonderful, Lord, and you are love. Therefore, I pray that we will walk in the same way and exhibit this goodness in our relationships. Father, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. 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 Amen.